All right, we're going to look into the Word of the Lord this morning. Uh, we have been exploring this concept of the perfect love of God, which is, which is really powerful, and um, really have this desire, this, this, this aim to really see engagement uh, happen within our community with one another. Truly spiritual family, I was meeting with our, with our small group leaders that are having groups right now. We have five here in Broward and five in, in West Palm, which you guys wouldn't have known about till now because we've, we've just kind of uh, launched these in, in a nonchalant kind of way as beta groups. But if you're interested in connecting into some of these groups, we have a page on our website you can call. Uh, find out about what's happening in these groups and, and, and journey with them as, as we would have capacity to do so in this season. Um, but we really want to see um, people uh, be able to receive uh, from others, as Sylvia was even talking about. I think that's, that's really rooted in uh, identity, having firm identity, be able to receive from other people. Oftentimes, I think, you know, inferiority lends to insecurity. And God wants you to know that you are loved and you are powerful and, and you are able to receive from other people, even like she said, when they disagree with you and you disagree with them. That, that builds healthy relationship and trust. And, and then beyond that, where we can share life with one another, really have intimacy uh, with, with God and with one another. And so we're going to look at some of this today and then give, give away what we have, you know, loving others out of the place of first being able to love ourselves. And so um, we're going to kind of, talk today uh, about the justice of his love. Uh, my wife is very black and white personality, and so she's a big justice person. Is there anybody else like that in the room where you just are longing for justice to come to the earth? And I, I, think, I think in all of our hearts, um, we're looking, you know, I think there's dreams of, uh, you know, having, having a, a community like South Florida be one of the greatest places on the planet to live. Um, raise our families, you know, and, and, and just enjoy life. And, and uh, I was, you know, the other night I went to the Black Panther. I don't know who's seen that movie, but, uh, I, you know, I was asking Sam, I said, is Wakanda a real place? Because if it is, I want to go move there. But I think that with, with I think the reason we, we long for those kind of places, like Wakanda, um, is that we're, 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 we're in a world that's filled with injustice and we long to see um, injustice broken where the bad is pushed out and the good is brought in. I want to show you this, this funny video just to kick off what we're going to talk about today.
That utopic world didn't work out so good, right? I, I really, if I can pull this together, I, I really feel, this, is, this may sound idealistic, but I really actually feel that we're called to build, B-U-I-L-D, something perfect in the world by showing forth the justice of his love working in and through our lives. And I, want to, I just want to put this out there today. I want to challenge us uh, that I think we could see something profound if we go about it the right way. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and following. That's where we're going to be just kind of focusing in for the few minutes that we have this morning. And may God grace us, may Holy Spirit grace us to have revelation, have understanding of the truth that he wants to give us today. But look what John writes to the church. He says, Dear children... And this is very powerful. He says, don't let anyone highlight that word, anyone. Nobody, not one person, don't let anyone deceive you about this. So he's building a moment to call attention to this phrase. And here's what he's wanting them to not let anyone deceive them about. He said, when people do what's right... It shows, everybody shout out shows, shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. Now this is super important for definition of terms here so that we can have proper context, proper understanding. Righteous, the word there, is the word just. It's where we get the word justice. The justice of his love. So he's talking about the justice of his love in these verses, though we may not have ever seen it before. It's the same word just, or another way of saying it would be having been justified. Simply put, it's where you take what is wrong and you make it right. Or where something was wrong, it has been made right. Are you all following with me so far? It also means, the word righteous also means to prove or to show. That's why I said at the beginning of my message today, I believe that God wants to work in and through us with the justice of his love to show the world what things could be like. It literally means to prove or to show what is right, what has been made right through the working of the cross. Interesting point here. We, we know the story. I'm not going to turn there, but... We know the story where Jesus was led into the wilderness. Remember, after living on the earth for 30 years, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, or in other words, some translations say, to be tested by the devil. It's the same exact word, to show, to prove, to prove to the world. Tempted or tested literally means to be proven or to show what is right or what is righteous. You're going to catch this as we keep going. What was profound about the the temptation of Jesus is, remember, he fasted no food and no water leading up to this moment where he was going to be proven. And he passed with flying colors. You guys know the story. I mean, no food, no water, perfect weakness, 
power actually perfected in the perfection of his weakness. So it goes to show that what we're talking about today, the justice of his love working through us, really doesn't have, as Spencer was saying, anything to do with our own strength. It's about his power working through us to prove something to the world. Because I want you to think about this. How does this happen? How, how was Jesus positioned for this moment when he was led into the wilderness? Well, for 30 years... He was engaging the Father. How was he engaging the Father? He was receiving from the Father. Receiving from the Father by doing this. Watching everything, spending intimate time with him, sharing life with him, and watching what he was doing for 30 years. And then listening to what the Father was saying for 30 years. So his identity, are you following me, through being able to receive was being fashioned over time. And this is why I believe that justification, though it is complete, having been justified through the work on the cross, is brought forth into fruition through the process of discipleship. There's a tension and a mystery, but it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's like... Christ has accomplished something so powerful on the cross that as we come into faith in what he's done, there's a work on the inside that is finished, is complete, but it comes forth through the journey of discipleship, walking with one another, journeying with one another, journeying with God. Is this making sense? All right? So let's continue into verse 8 here where he says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. We're going to look at this through a whole beautiful gospel lens today, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy, the word there literally means to dissolve, the works or the unjust efforts of the enemy. I love that. The purpose of Jesus was to dissolve the unjust efforts of the adversary. In fact, it was accomplished on the cross, and we're actually called to carry it out by Him working righteousness in our lives. Keep on sinning. It literally means a continual missing of the mark of God's original intention for you as a human. Your intent, your design, or your purpose for life. There's a strategy that wants to keep you disconnected from the original intention that God had for you before the foundation of the earth. That is the primary definition of sin. Now, that may look like alcoholism, that may look like abuse, that may look like deception, that may look like all kinds of things, but sinning at the end of the day is missing the intended purpose that God had for you and I. Now, here's the big one. When he says that these ones who keep on sinning belong to the devil, you've got to catch this, he's not talking about ownership. And this is massive because so many people come under so much bondage, shame, and condemnation because they think when they're broken and they're outside of God's purposes that when they read a verse like this, they're like, oh my God, the devil owns me. No, the devil doesn't own anybody. And let me explain why. The devil himself is a created being. And thus, because he is the created being, he himself is unable to create only someone who creates can actually own something that they create. Does that make sense? 
The only thing he can do is actually counterfeit or distort or usurp what has been created. This whole belong to the devil thing, it literally means a point of origin from where the action proceeds. So how many of you know that oftentimes we belong to the devil in the sense, not of ownership, but by continually allowing ourselves to become his point of origin from where injustice flows? And unfortunately... (laughs) There is as much of this going on within the community of the redeemed as there is outside the community of the redeemed. That's why Jesus was prepared 30 years to be to put on display and unfolded to the world as the Son of God, coming into a place of identity to where he could literally receive, he could literally share, he could literally give away what he had because he knew who he was. He knew how much he was loved. He knew his value. He knew his identity. And because of that, he was able to give love. Can I just say this? I believe self-righteousness is the greatest enemy to justification or the justice of God coming into the earth than any other problem. In fact, if you look in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus tells the story. He always is telling stories that were very practical so that people could understand spiritual truths. And he's telling a story of this person who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Good church-going guy here. And he says, verse 10, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other one was a despised tax collector. He says in verse 11, The Pharisee stood by himself. He was isolated. He was not connected. He was not engaged. The, the language here is very important. He was not journeying with anybody. He was not even able to receive. He for sure wasn't sharing, and he wasn't giving away what he was intended to give away because we see it played out here in the story. Verse 11, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly... Not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and did not even dare lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Verse 14, catch this. He says, I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God that day. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think one of the greatest places that we can get ourselves into right now as it relates to us being vessels of the justice of his love is to be fashioned in the place of humility. I believe this, and this is a quote by me, and I think this is a tweetable quote. It's this, hidden behind our scorn of others is our own guilt and shame that fashions a pharmaceutical lens through which we see the splinters in the eyes of others all the while blinded to the log in our own eye. I took that before the Lord today and I'm like, God, forgive me. I want to be one that manifests the justice of God in the earth. Forgive me where this has been my portion or my measure that has been meted through my life through blindness and deception. Because here's the deal. I think we're at an impasse as a nation right now where we're asking the question, 
what is our current cultural response going to be? And I think this is people within the church, and obviously it's being driven by people outside the church, which actually we really need to think about that because how much is what's going on outside of the church influencing negatively our response on the inside of the church to the current cultural response that needs to be taken as it relates to injustice in the earth? Very important question. In fact, social justice in a postmodern sense means giving the oppressed or the marginalized groups in society equality, which is actually a good thing. It's, there's not a bad, there's not, nothing bad about that, but it's being done in terms of social justice and postmodernism by, number one, engaging social activism as our moral responsibility. I think that we need to stand up for injustice. I'm not, please hear me, I want to balance this. I think that there's something that needs to be done. We need to stand up, you know, and engage what's wrong in the, in the earth, wrong in our nation, wrong socially, uh, and it is a moral responsibility to do this. But number two, what's happening is there's also taking place within social injustice, social justice um, in a postmodern society, the deconstructing of anything that in any way has to do or has lent itself to the injustices in the world. For example, if the church itself has been, you know, a mechanism of what people would view as injustice, what is happening is there's, there's social voices that are raising themselves up against the church, and there's also the deconstruction of how they view the church and what the church could look like. They're tearing the whole thing down. I remember when I went to the nation of Albania in 1994, Albania was a totally atheistic state um, under the, the auspice of communism. People had really been deceived. There was a lot of injustice that was happening that they wouldn't even have known was injustice. And when they found out about it, the response of the people was to take to the streets, take social action, and deconstruct everything that they'd ever known, even unto the tearing down of their own buildings within their society. By the time I showed up, the majority of the country laid in ruins. And actually the things that were there that God had given them, even under an oppressed society, were now, long, now no longer and they were destroyed. And it took them decades longer to get back to the place where they were actually even able to rebuild and bring justice to their nation. I think so often we flip-flop from one extreme to the other. And I see this right now happening in our country before my very eyes. I see good, well-intending people longing to see a utopian society raised up. But they're, and within the church, they're missing the mark of exactly how that is supposed to look by taking to the streets or deconstructing things. And, man, they're going to leave this thing in a, in a wasteland if we're not careful. I could leave my be, be a part of this as well. Because what happens here is when you start out with social activism, deconstruction, it almost always navigates to the full spectrum of political reality. I need to remind us of something. If you look back decades, there were people that had well-intended hearts to see laws changed in our nation, see, you know, good government officials put into to office and so forth to, 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 to posture so, themselves within that space to, to make righteous decisions and, and, and to change the moral landscape of our land. And I, th I believe in that. I believe that we are to invade every sphere. But when you take that thing too far... And you start looking to a president or a government or a this or a that to solve the ultimate spiritual issue in a nation. You have veered off the course. 
I remember, in fact, I believe this at one time, that, man, because George W. Bush read every morning, my utmost for his highest, that we were going to become a kingdom of God utopian society. And we saw anything but the case. God blessed him under his leadership. That is not the answer. In fact, if you look in Isaiah 61, Jesus addresses this very clearly. He says in verse 1, he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Sovereign here means possessing supreme political power or sovereignty or rule. Trust me, at the end of the day, when we're wanting to see something happen in the earth, it is going to come through the hands of Jesus, sitting on the throne of sovereignty, working through his church and the justice of his love to bring recompense to where there has been major injustice in the earth. In fact, he says, out of this place of the Sovereign Lord, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord being upon him, he said, the Lord has anointed me, look what he says, to bring good news to the poor, the marginalized, the broken, the overlooked ones. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So in other words, what we're talking about, the longing of all of our hearts to see injustice broken off of people, broken off of the earth, broke, broken off of different marginalized groups, i.e. racial groups, uh, I mean, you name it, women, men, all of it. What is this going to look like? How do we do this? He says this, here's his ministry to injustice. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Like there's a righteous indignation, like I am done with this happening on the earth under my watch. He says in verse 3, hope for the marginalized and the oppressed. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, and a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Now look at this. In their righteousness. They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. The fruit of this transformation of a person is a transformed city. Look what the next verse says. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. Repaired cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Now, you've got to check this out in the next verse. He says, foreigners will be your servants. In other words, those who belonged to the devil, those who were afar off, those who were alienated from God. This is profound to me. The injustice that was once reigning in whatever people group, he says, they will feed your flocks, plow your fields, and tend to your vineyards. Verse 6, they will be called the priests of the Lord and ministers of God, and they will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. I love this, verse 7, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in the land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Ending with this, verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate 
robbery and wrongdoing. And I will reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants, verse 9, will be recognized and honored among the nations. And everyone will realize that there are people the Lord has blessed. What if through a body broken and blood spilled we humble ourselves and we say God don't let me project on anybody within the church or in the world through the log that's in my own eye God come and remove it today because I have been justified. What is wrong or has been wrong in my heart, Lord, you can make it right. And then out of that place, we could go and raise our voices in the streets and fight for the oppressed in a righteous way. We will be the voices. We will be the liberators. We will be the ones that we're building a place where people can come under a tree that's big and broad and giving much shade so they can find some rest. What if we took the broken body of Christ and we ate of it and we took it into our identity. Did you know identity means sameness of the same character, oneness? If we, if we all did that collectively together, what was John talking about? I'll have to, this is part B to my message. What was he talking about when the world will know that you're my disciples by the love, the union that you have one for another? It's walking similarity into this spirit of the justice of God where we have taken on his nature. Where we have become one. Of the same character through what Christ has done, we're not perfecting ourselves in our own righteousness. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're invading every sphere, but we're not looking for any of those spheres in and of themselves to save us. We're leavening them with all that we have, but we're looking to the sovereign Lord to come. And to bring redemption to the earth. To bring justice to the earth. Could you close your eyes? I want to ask you. Could you stay the center course with me? Could you journey in a spirit of the love of God? To bring transformation to the earth. Could you, could you do that by the grace of the Lord? Could you come today and say, God, I want to be powerful. I want to be used strategically to transform our city, to transform our nation, to be a voice in this generation. I don't want to flip-flop because of the pain of a previous generation and its mistakes and then in it make our own 
and end up in the other side of the ditch. Lord God, let us journey with the King of Heaven. You gave up your rights. You gave up your power and your authority and you went to the cross and you took it all on yourself. You paid the ultimate price and you laid down your life for a bunch of your friends, every single one that was created in your image, even though that were being used as a point of origin in which the adversary was worked through, working through even to kill you. Yet you forgave us. My God. That was justice. Come, Holy Spirit, into this room. Empower and embolden the people. Fearless resolve to humble ourselves and ask for mercy. To take on the nature and the character of Christ. And give it away to the world, even if it costs us our very lives and our reputations. Come. Could you eat in agreement to that? Could we sit around this beautiful table today called the table of the Lord and could we say yes and amen to a body broken and blood spilled and say hallelujah you have won me and even when I lost me you knew where to find me the creator and the sustainer of my own heart. We eat of you, Jesus. And as we do, we remember. And we drink of you. Could we ask this out of that place of humility? God, would you make right every wrong law? Would you free every person under a broken culture that has been marginalized or oppressed in our nation? Would you pour out decency and hope and potential over every human life that's been created in your image, no matter what their skin color is or socioeconomic reality? Would you come in our day and in our time as we humble ourselves in the presence of God and say, Lord, would you transform our nation? We ask that you empower everybody in whatever sphere they're in, but we're not looking to no man, no person, no system other than the sovereign God at the end of the day to come and change us and to change our land. Would we raise our voices? I even pray over the youth movement that's happening right now. God, I see such potential in them. Would you spark within them, even in all their zeal, such an encounter with Jesus that they would be the greatest voices maybe that have ever risen, God, for the cause of Christ in the history of the planet? God, would you restore and reawaken even another Jesus movement through the life of teenagers right now, even starting in this city in the name of the Lord?
And God, where, where there is some deconstruction that's needed, God, would you just show us and have, let us have humility as leaders, just to, even though if it's been being said the wrong spirit, to, to just grasp, God, there's something broken here and we need to fix it and us to take a posture of humility. Would you come and do something that only you can do in our land, Lord? We love you. May the justice... Can you say that with me? May the justice of the love of God, say that of the love of God, make everything that's wrong in the world right by the grace of God. In Jesus' name. We're just going to let Sarah play. I know you have to get your children, but we're just going to leave just kind of an environment of... uh, Reverence, just quiet as you dismiss yourselves here. We're going to have some of our ministry team members come and just be here. Maybe you just need to come and spend some time before the Lord. Be like that one that left justified and say, God, have mercy on me. I don't want to project anything in my own righteousness to boast in, Lord. Come and kneel before the throne of grace. Say, Jesus, if it wasn't for you, I couldn't even be breathing. I couldn't even be living. Come and have your way, Lord. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Have an awesome day.